Seeking mental health care can be overwhelming and even scary, but it doesn't have to be. I'm Dr. Josephine McNary, and I'm committed to making this process easier for you. Each week, my expert guest and I unravel a different form of therapeutic intervention in order to bring comfort and understanding and to help you get back to your true self. Hello and welcome to another episode of Mind Stories. Today, I'm pleased to have on as our guest, Jackie Shapin. Jackie is a licensed marriage and family therapist in California. She provides therapy to adult individuals and specializes in treating OCD, anxiety, and eating disorders. Jackie opened her practice at the end of 2017. Prior to doing so, she worked at the Bella Vita, an eating disorder treatment center for eight years. She had several roles during this time, including clinical supervisor and program manager. She has since expanded her practice to include clients with obsessive compulsive disorder. In 2017, she attended the International OCD Foundation's Behavioral Therapy Training Institute and trained in EMDR through the Institute for Creative Mindfulness. Her hands-on work experience and specialized training has provided her with effective tools to help many throughout her career, and she is continually adding to her abilities as a therapist. Today, we talk about her approach and work with individuals with OCD. Welcome, Jackie. Thank you. Hi. Hi. Today, we're talking about OCD. Yes. And kind of this idea of what the diagnosis is. And this talk is titled the truth about OCD. So I guess I'll let you begin. So the reason why I wanted to basically kind of call it the truth about OCD is because a lot of people have the wrong idea about what obsessive compulsive disorder actually is. And there's been a lot of misinformation in the media, especially over the past year. There's been a lot of famous people in the media like Kim Kardashian and and others that have made comments like, I'm so OCD or when they're organizing things, they kind of comment that they're very OCD about organizing. And there's a huge problem there because it gives misinformation about what OCD really is. And there are so many people suffering from OCD that they don't always know what it is because the only thing you hear in media is things like keeping things organizing or checking things over and over again. But the truth is when someone really has OCD, they are suffering. So when you hear people talk about it in this way of like an adjective, like I'm so OCD and they're smiling, that's a huge indicator that they don't have OCD because someone who really has it is really anxious. It kind of confines a lot of their time. People will cry from the frustration of it. And so it really is a painful experience. And so it's really important that we kind of destigmatize the incorrect way that people talk about OCD. Yeah. And I feel if people who truly are suffering from OCD hear people kind of take it as this light, playful thing that it devalues their own suffering and their experience. Completely. Yeah. So that's why when, if you look up things on OCD, especially on Instagram, you'll see a lot of the quote, OCD is not an adjective because it's Mm -hmm. trying to get people away from using it that way. Got it. Thinking about for the listener. So how do you think about diagnosis of OCD and how do you think about the beginning stages of treatment? So in order to diagnose OCD, there's a lot of criteria that you have to have. OCD can look very different because there can be a lot of different themes, but the main components are having obsessions and compulsions that take a long time throughout somebody's day. And it causes a lot of concern and frustration and anxiety. 
So some people think you can have OCD with just obsessions and not compulsions, and they call that pure O. But if you actually interview the person with pure O, what you'll find is that they do have compulsions. They're just mental. So I think most OCD clients have obsessions and compulsions. Obsessions is something that triggers anxiety to increase. And then we use, people use compulsions to decrease the anxiety. And so the most important kind of learning component of OCD is what people call the OCD cycle, which is you start with something that causes anxiety. It skyrockets up. You do a compulsion. It temporarily relieves the anxiety. But the big word is temporary because then the cycle starts again. So if it wasn't OCD, you would do something to help your anxiety and then it wouldn't come back. But what happens with OCD is people find temporary relief and then it literally just keeps cycling over and over again. What are some examples of temporary relief? Oh, great. So there's many different themes in OCD. So for instance, a really common one that a lot of people know about is people that have a fear of an accident happening or something bad happening like their apartment getting set on fire because they didn't turn off the stove, let's say. That's kind of a stereotypical one, but it does happen. And so someone will know they turned off the stove and they go to bed and then they have this thought or obsession that starts going, did I turn off the stove? I don't know if I turned off the stove. What if I didn't turn off the stove? So then the compulsion is, you know what? I'm going to just go check the stove. It's not a big deal. So they check the stove and then they go back to bed and normally they still don't think they did it. So even though in reality, they know they did, there's this other part of them that a lot of times we call the OCD voice or the OCD monster will say, I don't really think you checked it. And then they go up again and then they check it. And so it's temporary because even though they know they did it, there's this thought or idea in their mind that's telling them you didn't, or it's probably still on. So they keep going back and they only get a little bit of it's temporary relief because they keep going back and it doesn't really settle them when they do it one time. Right. I think about kind of in general, someone is, they're in bed and they think, oh, maybe I forgot to do the, do the stove. And maybe their partner's like, you're so OCD. But the difference is that the individual goes, checks the stove. They go back to bed and can go to sleep. Right. Yes. Yes, exactly. So someone that doesn't have OCD is like, oh, let me just check it. They check it one time. And they go to bed and maybe it doesn't happen every single night or all the time, but someone with OCD, they're suffering because even though they did it, they still have this thought that they didn't do it. And it doesn't just happen with checking things. We hear like other things about counting or people having behavioral compulsions where they'll actually have to do something. And a lot of times it's irrational. And when someone has insight into the OCD, they can on one hand hear how irrational something might be. But then on the other hand, this OCD part of them, it makes sense to that part of them. So there's other things that happen like just right OCD a lot of times is when something just has to feel right. So it could be, I had someone who they had difficulty breathing. And when they, when they tried to breathe, if it didn't feel right, like the the right feeling of the inhale They had to keep doing it over and over again. And it actually caused them to struggle to breathe because they were so concerned with breathing the right way. So there's also that type of theme where the compulsion is you think you can't breathe or you think it doesn't feel right. And so you keep doing it over and over and over again. And again, it causes a lot of distress. Yeah. Yeah. It's interesting. The work I see a lot of patients with OCD and it, it is fascinating that there's this 
you were talking about this rational mind that someone has about it, but thinking about it does not, you kind of say, this is, I know this isn't rational. I know I'm breathing fine, but the drive, the obsessional thinking about it just has such a, it's so powerful. And no matter how much your rational mind tries to reason, it, it just as such, it just overpowers it, the drive to think that way or to perform a compulsion. Right. Yeah. One question I have is because I also know that you work with eating disorders. How do you see that intersection between individuals suffering from eating disorders and OCD symptoms? There's a lot of overlap, a lot. So the difference between OCD and an eating disorder, the best way you can kind of sift them apart is the reasoning for why the person is doing something. So if their reasoning of, I don't know, why do you check labels or why their diet might look a certain way? If their answer is something like, I'm worried I'm going to get sick, or it's about my health, or certain foods are bad versus something bad is going to happen, those are a lot of like OCD related thoughts. And that kind of tells you that's the OCD part. If their reasoning is about weight loss, looking a certain way, trying to reach some type of goal weight, or again, doing it because of body then that is where it's like, okay, that's the eating disorder. So it's really important when you assess somebody that is maybe struggling with both that you ask, what is your reason for doing it? What's like the why? You know, why are you eating these certain things or why aren't you doing this certain thing? But I could imagine though, I'm thinking of maybe anorexia or restriction, there becomes this gray zone where it's hard to actually distinguish between the two. Yes. And Something that's really important too is when someone has severe anorexia and they are at a very malnourished place, their anxiety can skyrocket because of, again, malnourishment and the brain. And so a lot of times you'll actually see OCD-like symptoms when someone has severe anxiety. And then you'll notice when they start getting nourished again in like a stable medical place, a lot of times that anxiety or like the obsessive compulsive part actually tends to decrease. And then you realize, oh, this was their eating disorder and they were really malnourished. So sometimes it it, it looks like OCD, but then as they get better, it gets away from that type of behavior. Right. Or also this idea of this irrational mind of this image of what they see themselves as, right? So I guess I'm thinking about that as kind of this overlap in a way. What's interesting is this OCD cycle I talked about you can use that for so many things. You can use that for eating disorder behavior. You can use it for addiction because if you're looking at eating disorder behavior, you might have this thought or desire of, I don't like the way I look, I'm fat or whatever it might be. And then they have a behavior and the behavior is like a compulsion, right? Whether it's binging or purging or restricting or excessive exercise or laxatives, whatever it is, those are compulsions, right? That they're trying to get temporary relief but it doesn't really work because they keep doing it, which shows that it's that cycle again. So they are, they're very similar in that cycle. And there's a lot of overlap that you can use with treatment as well for both. So the other thing I'm drawn to the work that you do, because I know you do also have some experience with working with groups in OCD treatment. I'm so curious to hear kind of your experience with that and how you kind of see the groups being sometimes more helpful than individual therapy. Yeah. So most of my experience with group work is with eating disorder treatment. And so I've done a lot of that. And as I moved to treating OCD, I recently had an OCD 
treatment slash support group. So I really wanted it to be for people that hadn't had treatment yet. I wanted to reach more people because as you know, a lot of therapists are, are full right now. And so I basically was like, why don't I do a group where I'm basically going to tell them the same thing I would tell them an individual, but I can reach more people. And what I found was just those clients with OCD meeting other people and getting to share their experience. That was so powerful. They didn't feel alone. It made it a little bit more light in terms of being able to share everyone's theme and kind of come up with exposures together. And they all were each other's cheerleaders. And so I I thought it was really powerful, a little bit more so sometimes an individual, because a lot of them told me how relieved they were because they never met anybody that also had OCD. And even though they sounded different in their themes, they all had like the same feelings and frustration and anxiety and, and terror at times. Yeah. It makes me think about how incredibly isolating and shameful OCD can be, right? A lot of shame around how you think, because a lot of times people with OCD have, like you said, the mental OCD that maybe other people don't notice because it's not a behavior, right? But it's caused so much distress and discomfort that maybe other people can't maybe understand. Exactly. And there's, there's the mental compulsions that you can't see, like a huge one is ruminating or like figuring it out. And a lot of people do that even just with anxiety. We overthink things in the attempt that we can figure something out. But in reality, it's just kind of like a coping mechanism that makes us feel better, but we really don't ever come to a solution. That's one mental compulsion. And another one is reassurance seeking. So commonly asking other people for reassurance. And that can show up again with eating disorders and OCD. So did I check the locks? You're asking someone that's looking for reassurance or do I look okay? So seeking reassurance is also a mental compulsion. And then the other thing people don't know, I forget the research, but it's really sad. It's like 10 to 15 years before someone finally gets the correct diagnosis of OCD, because again, there's so much misinformation. And a lot of people don't talk about the taboo themes like pedophilia OCD or um, sexual OCD or harm OCD. So a lot of people, again, don't even know that what they're going through is OCD. They just question themselves as a person, which again, is Mm -hmm. is really bad. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, I guess you're right. It's kind of depending on the theme of your OCD, there's varying degrees of shame around it and secrecy. So much shame. Yeah. So I can see how a group of people who have had similar struggles can feel incredibly supportive. Definitely. And then even there's an assessment tool, the Y box scale. And on the last page, there's a compulsion checklist or an obsessive checklist. I can't remember the name of it. That also helps with the shame too, because people will take that and they'll realize, oh my gosh, I didn't know that was part of OCD. And that it has like all these different checks on it. And so that can kind of take the shame away by seeing, oh, I'm not the only one. This is like written on a paper. Clearly there's more people that struggle with this. In my group, I have them all kind of do those assessments beforehand. So that also kind of helps them know what they're getting into a little bit. So it kind of makes me think of like this full circle of we began by talking about the overuse of people talking about OCD as an adjective, right? About how some people use it incorrectly in a way that does kind of a disservice to people who are actually suffering truly from the disorder. So it's kind of this tricky thing of like, well, putting it out there and saying, oh, you know, it's about anxiety and obsessional thinking. I guess what I'm trying to say is like, 
it's, it does a service to overuse the word as an adjective, but at the same time, it also, we're trying to normalize it. Oh, I get what you're saying. Yeah. Like we're trying to normalize it just like we're trying to normalize mental health struggles. But then the unfortunate part is, yeah, then people overuse it maybe from the comfort of destigmatizing mental health. Right. And it makes people who truly have OCD being like, oh, well, mine is so severe, right? Look at this person who claims that they have OCD. Yeah. It's kind of a tricky thing. Or, or mine must not be OCD because my thoughts are about hurting someone or like being unsure of my identity. And these people are saying it's just about organizing stuff. So it also makes people confused or not even realize that what they're going through might be OCD. Right. It is kind of interesting how words become part of trendy kind of vernacular in a way and you kind of don't realize the negative effect that that can have. Right. A huge way to tell them apart is OCD is ego dystonic, which means it goes against your beliefs. So again, if it's OCD, you don't like the thoughts, they terrify you, they upset you because it's not really in line with who you are. Whereas someone without OCD, again, they might like that about themselves, that they organize things or they like to clean. So that's not ego dystonic. So that's not OCD. Well, I really appreciate you sharing your kind of your expertise on OCD. I'll make sure that we have information about your practice on the episode description. And if you have other resources that you would want to share with people, we'll make sure we'll put those on as well. Before we leave, any words of wisdom or parting words? I think the main thing I want to make sure I don't miss out is the gold standard of care. The best treatment for OCD is what's called ERP or exposure response prevention. So if you are struggling with OCD or you're not sure, make sure you find someone that has training in exposure response prevention so that you're getting the right treatment. Mm -hmm. And I think that brings up, hopefully we'll add a database where people can look for clinicians who have that specific skill set, which might be helpful if people are thinking about diving into treatment for this. Definitely. Maybe a good way to start to consider people who really do have that specific specialty that can be very helpful for their disorder. All right. Well, thanks so much. I appreciate having you on and appreciate the work you do. Thank you so much. All right. Take care. Bye. This has been Mind Stories with me, Josephine McNary of Cal Psychiatry. With online psychiatry in California and 13 offices throughout Southern California and the Bay Area, Cal Psychiatry specializes in medication management, ADHD, anxiety disorders, alternative therapies, women's mental health, and more. Visit us at calpsychiatry.com and let us help you get back to your true self. Thanks for listening to Mind Stories, and don't forget to subscribe. Subscribe.